ulterior. Hey guys, Artisan here, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. And the last time I used that intro was about a month ago where I was recording at my mom's apartment because I had just moved out of the house I had been living in for 20 years, or essentially living in for 20 years. Um, and I wish I could say like, oh, you know, I made the decision that it was time to move on and I was prepared for it. If you heard, if you heard that noise right now, I'll explain what that is in a second. Um, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm prepared for this. I know what I'm doing. It's going to be okay. Um, it was a very, very, very hectic situation and it's not a story that I'm going to sit here and tell right now. Maybe one day I will, but now I don't really, really want to be thinking about it too much. Um, what you guys need to know for right now as it pertains to the present day and every day moving forward for the foreseeable future, I am now in a different apartment. It's an apartment that I live in now with my dad and we're both here. Everything is fine. We have our cats with us, Levi and Armin, the cats you guys already know about, as well as Historia and Daisy, who are two other cats, and yeah, we're just uh, a very strange family now, but um, this is what we wanted, you know, this is what we hoped and prayed for, and it happened, so that's pretty cool, I, I guess. And the beeping sound in the background, if it is able to be picked up by the audio, is the battery to the fire alarm kind of indicating that it's going out and we will fix that soon enough. It's just right now it is going to be a factor and I apologize for that. Um, it's actually kind of like a full circle moment because uh, two years ago I recorded my uh, Patreon episode for State of the Scene and you could hear a beeping sound every once in a while and Sam gave me some shit for it. But for the time being right now, just please let it be what it be. Uh, you know how it goes. So uh, this episode, we're going to look at new singles from the likes of Barry Tomorrow, Motionless and White, Cherry Amore, Counterparts, a few others, and then brand new records from, let me get the list again because this was a big week and it's kind of all jumbled together sometimes, Memphis Mayfire, The Oklahoma Kid, Akuma Six, Valley Hearts, and Thornhill. So yeah, thanks everyone. Enjoy this chapter. Let's just go ahead and get into what we need to as it pertains to... Dance Given Dance and Tillian Pearson. Uh, for those who are not aware, over the last week, some very, very, very grotesque allegations were brought forth against Tillian, and subsequently, Mans confessed on Reddit uh, to what he was accused of, and the announcement that was made by Dance Given Dance later on in the week that. Tillian will be stepping away from the band uh, in order to seek professional help. And like the statement that they put out, it can mean a litany of things, guys. There's not really any clarity on what they mean by Tillian is stepping away. Like, 
Did he leave? Was he kicked out? Is this temporary and he's going to be back once somebody believes that things have blown over? Um, it, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to handle. And the community surrounding this band uh, and the fans, they have, they've, they've had it rough over the last few months. Uh, you know, Tim's passing and then now all of this happening and who knows what this is going to mean moving forward. It can mean a lot of things. The vast majority of those things not being good. Um, so now decisions had to be made by the people consuming dance, game and dance material, you know, whether it be just fans or people in media, things like that. Um, what I can say as of right now is like, from for my own personal take on all this and how I am choosing to approach it, it doesn't feel right to continue to give coverage to Dance Game and Dance as things stand right now. So what that means is Jackpot Juicer more than likely will not be reviewed on this platform. Um, the remaining singles for the album before it releases, I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, the, the make-believe lock-in that Pop-Off had for the top 100 songs, it's, that spot is going to instead go to the number two song for that week in Scenic Overlook, which I believe was XO by Stan Atlantic. Um, and again, this is all just, you know, what I'm choosing to do about this situation moving forward. Um, anybody who wants to listen to Jackpot Juicer, you're free to do that. Go ahead. You want to continue to support Dance Game Dance, you know, that's your choice. You're allowed to do that. Um, just like I am allowed to do what I have outlined. Um, and I guess, you know, the only right way to close out this topic would be to say, um, I, I wish nothing but the best in the healing process for, you know, the victim of Tillian and everybody who has been affected by this sudden news and just in general at large, guys, um, please, please, please do not undermine victims and survivors of sexual assault. You know, believe victims, stand with them, listen to them, and just, you know, please, please, please do that much. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that won't be the last time that I mentioned the Dance Gavin Dance stuff on this platform, but for this episode, it will be, and I do want to go ahead and move into the music now because there is quite a lot to get through. And as I usually do, I will begin with the number one ranked song in Scenic Overlook this past week, that coming from uh, the Callous Dow Boys of all bands, and it is What is Delicious, Who Swarms? And when I say of all bands, I don't really mean that like in a disregarding kind of a manner because I've always liked the Callous Dow Boys, but right now I think we are seeing them operate at a level that is even surpassing where I believed their ceiling had once been. So this is another single off of Celebrity Therapist, which is out on September 2nd. And I think between this single and the prior one, a brief article regarding time loops 
what is delicious is, at, at least in my opinion, the stronger case for why this is the year that the Callous Dowboys elevate themselves into the upper echelon where they belong in scene music. Um, this track is chaotic in a way that admittedly doesn't really make any room for cohesion. Like, this does sound like a bunch of different tracks Frankenstein into one, but I think that's also where some of the charm is coming from. Like, this song can be heavy and then turn melodic and then quiet down and then turn into this, like, circus-sounding jank with trumpets implemented. Um, just one of the most unique experiences I've had listening to a song so far this year, and I am increasingly excited with every release to get to hear this record in September and try to piece together whatever the fuck the Callous Dow Boys are going to do on it. We have a brand new single by Barry Tomorrow. It is called Life Paradise Denied. I spoke about this when I reviewed the prior Barry Tomorrow single, Death Ever Colder, but this is a band that I have always acknowledged as being very talented, yet there has never really been a strong attachment between myself and the material of Barry Tomorrow. And, you know, maybe that's like kind of antithetical to what I've been saying, but um, for the most part, for the... 16-year trajectory of Barry Tomorrow, it was mainly the specific style of vocals that Jason Cameron wielded that just made it a little bit difficult for me to like fully immerse myself into Barry Tomorrow's catalog. Um, but then now with Tom Prendergast uh, on vocals, clean vocals actually, um, I, I, I just feel like Barry Tomorrow are operating at a level that you know, they've never reached before. I think this is the best they've ever sounded, the best they've ever operated at. Um, Life Paradise Denied further uh, proves that, in my opinion, with the, uh, like, the strong balance between screams and cleans and how good the cleans sound, how fucking incredible the chorus on this single is. Um, you know, kind of what I mentioned about the Callous Dowboys. This feels like Barry Tomorrow finally reaching where I wanted them to be, and I, I genuinely could not be happier for Barry Tomorrow and could not be more excited for what is to come from this band in the future. Brand new Lolo single, The Floor is Lava. I feel like Lolo is somebody who, even though I constantly gas her up on this show and platform altogether, maybe I haven't really done as good of a job as I should have at truly relaying to all of you how much of a fan of hers I really am. Um, when it comes to, you know, like the, the pop punk revival stuff, um, you know, I, I've mentioned names before, like Maggie Linneman and Charlotte Sands when it comes to the artists who I think are like really, really giving a good name to that genre. Lolo is right there. And I, I actually did think Lolo had a better song this week than Maggie. Maggie had Break Me, which, you know, I will mention later on in the, 
the rundown for the singles, but with the floor is lava, I just really, really admire the like slow approach to its initial build and how even when the chorus comes in, it doesn't really sound like so fleshed out. And to me, that instrumentation choice kind of lends itself to the lyrical nature of this song because I, I have this quote right here from Alt Press that I'm going to read uh, regarding The Floor's Lava and what Lolo's mindset was when crafting it. I wrote this song about experiencing crippling anxiety, that feeling when you really want to get out of bed but you just can't move. I used to play The Floor's Lava game as a kid, but as I got older... I started to feel like the floor actually was lava. I felt so stuck in my own head and body and didn't know why. I wrote this song to let out all those feelings. And when you hear this song, at least in my head, yes, that feeling of like anxiety and just, um, you know, fear in general, it kind of shines through in the song. It sounds like an anxious song. It sounds like a song that is kind of holding something back intentionally. And for all those reasons, I think this is one of the strongest tracks that Lolo has ever put out. Um, and, and that's all she ever does. When you think about what she's uh, released this year, uh, Debbie Downer, uh, Junkie, and then now The Floor is Lava. Lolo is a fucking megastar. And whenever the new EP of hers drops this year, I will cycle the fuck out of it on spotify it do be motionless in white season uh they have a brand new record out this week the friday that this episode is dropping scoring the end of the world but before we get to that we do have the title track as a single featuring mick gordon I know I have mentioned McGordon before on this show, and not even pertaining to Motion White because he was on Cyberhex, which was the lead single for scoring the end of the world, but he also had parts in uh, the Posthumous of a Horror EP by Bring Me the Horizon, and then the recent Monuments album that I can't remember the name of exactly right now, but Mick Gordon, you know, whenever he gets his hands on something, you can hear those electronic touches that really, really make it stand out. And that is what was able to happen with scoring the end of the world. I think this is, um, or I think every single so far has like shown that Motionless and White are as good now as they've ever been. With the title track here, scoring the end of the world, I really, really love the kind of like, um, I'm trying to figure out the way to put it because it kind of lies in like the middle ground when it comes to all the singles, you know, it's not so um, electronically chaotic the way that uh, Cyberhex is, it's not the alternative radio ballad that Masterpiece is, and it's not the metalcore banger that Slaughterhouse was. It exists kind of, you know, as like a core function in the middle of all of those sounds. And I think this shows another layer of versatility for Motionless and White. I think this was the perfect way for them to cap off the um, the singles rollout, at least before the full album drops on Friday, June 10th. Um, just a, a amazing song, amazing job overall by everybody involved uh, with this track, Motionless and White and Mick Gordon. Uh, please, please check out the entire record scoring the end of the world again, June 10th, this Friday that the episode is releasing. Uh, Cheria Moore. I am so happy to get to talk about this band again. Brand new single called Sin City. Away, 
We recently surpassed the one-year mark of Cherry Amore becoming an official project, and when I saw their Spotify uh, monthly listener count, I was baffled and truthfully appalled. 22,898 is where they stand right now. You mean to tell me that after one year, only 22,898 motherfuckers have given them the time of day on Spotify? That is insane. Like... This band should be, you know, way beyond where they actually are. And yes, my bias is showing because I think Cherry Amore, they are that band. The members of Cherry Amore, each of them are him. They are fucking incredible. Sin City only further proves what I have believed this whole time in that Cherry Amore are one of the most premier acts in the scene and they're so fucking young into their tenure. Um, I can't get enough of, you know, the um, really like laid back, at some points almost R&B-ish type tones coming from Sin City, especially in the chorus. That shit is fucking gnarly, man. Um, later on, like you actually get a breakdown in the track and like my puny ass fucking brain just about exploded hearing that thing. And I was like, holy shit. Cherry Amore, this is exactly why I gassed them up so much on internal discussions last year and why Burn was a top 10 song of 2021, for myself at least. Um, Sin City, it, I, it's amazing. I love Cherry Amore. I can't express that enough and I cannot recommend this band enough to any of you who have potentially maybe never listened to them before. Go check out Cherry Amore. Uh, the band Unwell. I have briefly talked about them before on this show. I do know that I'm going to talk about them again right now because of the brand new single, Epiphany. I had talked about their EP from last year, New Moons, and I remember being particularly high on it, especially on a certain track on there called Solstice. I just felt that Unwell showed this exponential amount of potential that I knew they could capitalize on in the future, and they did exactly that through Epiphany. Um, to even call this song like just pop punk feels like a disservice to the work put in by Unwell. Um, Epiphany embodies a lot of like just straight up punk tones all throughout it. Um, the fast paced verses, the chorus that is like so catchy and feels like so out of the 2000s. Um, I, I don't know exactly why, because I don't, I wouldn't say it sounds anything like it exactly, but, um, like, Early Thrice stuff is kind of what came to mind hearing the chorus. I guess like Deadbolt era stuff, if we want to be specific about that. Um, it's just like so well-crafted and well put together and everybody carries their weight. Vocally, this shit sounds fucking awesome. Um, an amazing song. So catchy and infectious and addictive. And just one of the gems from last week for myself that I know is not going to get the proper amount of love and attention that it really, really warrants. There are some details about a brand new Counterparts album. I will get into all of that right after playing this clip of the brand new single, Unwavering Vow.
the album is called A Eulogy for Those Still Here. It releases October 7th. Um, I have not had a chance so far in the entire tenure of the show to really mention counterparts. That's a fucking shame because truthfully, they are one of my favorite acts out there right now. I have like this, um, connection to counterparts that it feels so like invigorating for me. Like every time they do something, it like sparks this energy within me. Um, unwavering vow is as good of a follow-up to Nothing Left to Love from 2019 that I could have asked for. Um, it, it once again shows why Counterparts, you know, could very well potentially be the best band in, um, you know, hardcore punk, melodic hardcore, whatever label you want to actually title their genre as. Counterparts are those fucking dudes, and they have been for the longest time. And the, the amount of talent in that band, Brendan Murphy, Kyle Brownlee, just everybody in Counterparts, time and time again showing why they are some of the best musicians in the world right now not even just in scene music like the musicianship on the part of counterparts is just something that i think every band can look at and use as inspiration to show like what it truly means to uh you know kind of like have that kingpin level in the game um there's just so much about counterparts act altogether that um I, I know I'm going to have more and more opportunities to like really um, kind of relish in as we get closer to the release of a eulogy for those still here. And then, you know, once the album drops in October, um, this is going to be a big deal for me moving forward and expect a lot of just, you know, fucking caping for counterparts every chance I get on this podcast. The final single that I will be giving its own spotlight to on this episode comes from Goody Grace, and it is What Do I Do? That's a very good question, Goody Grace. I don't know what to do. Um... So I did listen to Goody Grace's record from last year, Don't Forget Where You Came From, around the time that it released, I believe in February of 2021, and it was okay, you know, it was pretty good, maybe nothing that I would like, you know, kind of put on a pedestal or anything like that, but enjoyable, I had no issue with it, um, but I will say that What Do I Do eclipses every single track off of that record, in my opinion. Um, there's something so infectious about the tone of this song and the style that it utilizes and how it just feels like so summery in a way and it feels like a song that you could imagine being played on the radio like it has that kind of uh i guess like one republic sort of sound going for it and that's maybe not a good way to explain it because i don't i don't know how many listeners actually fuck with one republic but you know, whatever it be, would it be? That was just what came to mind hearing What Do I Do? Um, just such a good song overall. Just like really fun and quirky and adorable at times. Just, um, you know, from its, uh, like the, the dark nature of the lyrics in comparison to how upbeat the song actually sounds. Um, just to take the chorus, for example, what do I do when the drugs aren't working anymore? When she don't love me like she did before, when I should be fine, but I'm just bored all alone. What do I do? Um, there's a lot of, a, a lot to love about this song. And 
Um, you know, I'm not going to say for sure that like, you know, the next full length from Goody Grace is going to be something uh, magnificent, but I will say that What Do I Do is very, very, very promising. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a four or a five to in the reviews on social media. Rosalind by Always Never, Lonely by Aviva, Precipitation by Bears and Trees, Ridiculous by Breathe Carolina, Life Waster by Corpse, Good Mood by Dwayne featuring Grandson, Hurricane by Dream on Dreamer, SOS by Fire from the Gods, Black and White by Glass Tides, Scared to Lose by Glimmers, Self-Destruct by Immerse, W2HA by In Heart's Wake, Sober by Josh A featuring Nefex, As It Was by Last Night Saved My Life, I'm Insecure by Lauren Hibbard, Break Me by Maggie Lineman featuring Sick Brain, Olivia by Oakrest, Hypocrite by A Virtue, Evermore by Paleskin, Nothing in My Head by Pink Shift, Requiem by The Hero Dies First, Who I Am by The Motion Below, Bad For Me by The Via, The Villa, how'd you say that? The Villa? The Villa. Uh, Panopticon by Thought Crimes, The Enemy is the Inner Me by While She Sleeps, Long Way Home by While She Sleeps, and Break by 0936 featuring Atreyu. There was no song from last week that I said I didn't mind or didn't like. Everything was actually really, really solid, and I fucked with a lot of it, and this was definitely a tough week to kind of put together for, uh, for Scenic Overlook. Why can't I fucking talk? And there's that fucking alarm again, guys. I'm really, really sorry. Um, just to like kind of be a little bit more transparent about Scenic Overlook and how much I liked last week. Um, Maggie Lindemann, Fire from the Gods, and Corpse, I had written down and then took them out and then put them back in and took them out. It was a fucking process, guys. But, um, you know, those were the like top of the class songs for myself last week. And now I'm going to go ahead and get into the releases as far as records go. There were five albums from last week to get through. I'm going to start with one that I've in some ways already reviewed uh, throughout many, many, many episodes over the course of the past year. Remade in Misery by Memphis Mayfire. So this is my time to shine, y'all. Let's fucking go. Let's talk about Memphis Mayfire because there is not any band in the world like them when it comes to the up and down love-hate relationship that I have kind of like attached myself to when it comes to Memphis Mayfire. So I remember the first time I ever heard this band was... It was around 2010, 2011. I don't remember the exact time frame, but I do remember like kind of still being active on MySpace at the time just because it was still a good outlet to find new music, at least for me more so than YouTube. Like MySpace, you know, was kind of a haven for that. Um, and I don't remember like what page it was or who it was, but I did come across somebody who had Action Adventure as, you know, one of their MySpace songs. Um, action adventure having been on a, a, a very, very, very early EP by Memphis Mayfire. I'm looking at the name of the EP right now just to make sure I get it right because, like, I have it in my head. I remember the artwork being like papers and shit. Um, Between the Lies. So when it came to that material, there wasn't really anything about it that like separated Memphis from the other like Rise core sounding bands of 
the early 2010s, late 2000s, but I still felt like there was a charm to them, and, and there was something about their delivery that made them sound special. And my belief that Memphis Mayfire was a legitimate top band was only reaffirmed with, you know, later on albums like The Hollow and then Challenger. You know, between those two records, to me, like, there was something to Memphis Mayfire that you couldn't really, or at least for me, couldn't really identify because there wasn't really anything unique about them. I think they just took a style and kind of morphed it in their own image, and they were really genuinely fucking good at that. I, I thought Memphis Mayfire had a chance at being, you know, in that Bring Me the Horizon, um, of Mice and Men, Sleeping with Sirens echelon when it came to what bands I really turned to and said, they are them, like, these are these fucking bands. And then somewhere along the way, everything went wrong. Like, genuinely everything. Unconditional, their 2014 album. I I can't stand it. I, I genuinely just do not like that record. And maybe I really tried convincing myself early on that I liked No Ordinary Love or The Rose or um, Beneath the Skin, but I, I just don't. And... I, I really, really kind of felt bad about that initially because it was a huge record for Memphis. I believe it was like number four or five on Billboard 200 the week that it dropped. And you guys need to understand how fucking huge of a deal that was. Like, that shit does not happen anymore. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. And I just couldn't fuck with the, with the material. Um, This light I hold in 2016... Maybe a little bit more tolerable, maybe a little bit better, and maybe there are some songs on that record, like Carry On or This Lot I Hold, that kind of do something for me. But even then, when I say kind of, I really, really, really mean just kind of. And then 2018's Broken. Yes, that shit was broken, dog. What the fuck happened on that album? What the fuck did they do wrong? Why did every single thing just come crumbling from Memphis Made Fire? And I don't want to put it on one person, you know, that being Maddie Mullins. I don't want to say Maddie was the only one here fucking it up because, you know, it, it takes effort on the part of an entire band to put out a record as fucking awful as Broken. And I don't, you know... I was gonna say I don't mean to sound mean, but you know what? Fuck it, I do mean to sound mean. That shit was fucking ass, dude. I do not like that album in the slightest. So considering everything that I've just said when it comes to slandering Memphis Mayfire, why would I give a shit about Remade in Misery? For what reason would I have to be so invested in Memphis Mayfire? The reason ended up being they just got good. They seemingly changed everything about their direction and the way they sounded. And was it, you know, fan service? Did they kind of just, you know, do a style of metalcore that they don't really believe in, but they just did it anyways to appease fans? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But at this rate, I really couldn't give any less of a shit what the intention was behind Remade in Misery because it is a perfect album and it is the first time in a long time that I am sitting here and telling all of you that Memphis Mayfire is one of the best bands in the world. And I mean that sincerely and also with this, like, a truth be told, begrudging feeling because it's like, do I want to sit here and call Memphis Mayfire one of the best bands in the world after I've spent however long I have slandering their name? No, not really. But at the same time, I need to admit when a course has changed, when 
a band has taken a turn for the infinite better. And that is exactly what Memphis Mayfire have been doing for the last year. Because I remember the week that Blood and Water, the lead single for Remade in Misery, dropped. It was like almost a year ago, actually. And that that week, I was just like, okay, well, firstly, I was kind of still going through some stuff in my head, like really, really bad personal shit. But just from the music end of everything, uh, look at what happened that week. Okay, Sleeping with Sirens, who sometimes miss, dropped a fucking banger in Bloody Knuckles. Um, Burn by Sheria Moore, Sweet by Static Dress, Loveless One drop. You know, remember Loveless One? That shit was fire. I fucking love that record. I still, you know, listen to it constantly to this day. And considering all of those factors, what reason would I have to give a single slither of a shit about Memphis Mayfire? And I heard the song, I was like, okay, fuck it, I'm gonna end up reviewing it because I listened to everything, or I tried to listen to everything, and let me just see what this is. And, guys, Blood and Water, like, my fucking jaw dropped when I heard that song. The second that fucking riff comes in with the rest of the band, it is so, um, like, just energizing and invigorating and just the right amount of aggression that I need from this band. And then you go into the chorus and... It is smooth as fuck. That shit flows so well. Maddie just gets on the track and uh, it's insane to think about how good that song is still to this day over a year later. But me being the cynic that I am, I thought, okay, they had one good song, you know, okay, great job. They got their first good song out in almost a decade. That doesn't mean next single is going to be good. And then Death Inside dropped and... I did not know what to think at that point because Death Inside is just as good as Blood and Water in my opinion. And I was starting to think like, okay, where is this going? Like, is this just a back-to-back stretch of good songs? And then they're going to go back on the decline that I knew Memphis May Fire as having, you know, kind of been on. Um, but again, same time, I'm thinking like, okay, what is happening? Like, is this, is this real? Like, is Maddie Mullins, is, is he a dog again? Like, is he him? Maybe, potentially. And then you go into the singles from there on out. Bleed Me Dry, Somebody, Left for Dead. And it feels like every single time I hear a new Memphis Mayfire song, I am just like kind of having to admit to myself and to the masses, you know, those being all of you, how good I think they are now. And again, it's a feeling that maybe I had some hesitation to kind of admit, but at the same time, I felt happy to be able to say Memphis May Fire is this fucking good again. Okay, I say again, maybe not even again. Maybe this is the best they've ever been. It kind of probably is now that I really, really think about it out loud. Uh, The American Dream. This was a single back in January. And I, honest to God, guys, this might be my favorite Memphis May Fire song ever. And that's considering all the other ones that they put out that I've championed in the past time and time again. Um, Ghost in the Mirror, Prove Me Right, The Sinner. Uh, you know, the American Dream stands on its own. And I think while it doesn't really do anything too innovative, it's not like going to change the face of Metalcore, but I think it changed the face of Memphis May Fire. And I can't express enough just what the American Dream means to me and how often I played it. The fact that I believe it's one of my most played songs of the year so far on Spotify. Um, and I wouldn't have believed that to be the case for Memphis Mayfire even a year ago. 
Make Believe, Only Human, featuring AJ Chandler from Fire From The Gods, and Your Turn rounded out the singles rollout. And again, just song after song after song, they were those fucking dudes every single time. Um, Make Believe, I think I said this before on the podcast about how it kind of takes a slower approach compared to the other singles, but once that chorus comes in and the buildup pays off, it is just this this grandiose feeling that I can't really put into words, and I can't fucking believe Memphis Mayfire, of all bands, pull that out of me. Um, the only two songs on this record that did not get singles treatment prior were Misery and The Fight Within. I will say that I do think Misery kind of shows more of what Memphis Mayfire were doing on Broken as opposed to what they had been doing at large on Remade in Misery. But to me, Misery sounds like the concept of Broken done right. I have no issue with the song whatsoever. I think it sounds great. It could be, you know, like one of those um, Sirius XM Octane bangers, if we're being honest. And then The Fight Within, the closing track, um, kind of embodies a little bit of what I mentioned about Make Believe and how it's a slower song. Um, you have those moments of build that like, you know, something's coming, but even just the quieter moments, I am sitting there just soaking it all in and really like being mesmerized at what I'm hearing. And then once the song explodes and that buildup uh, is paid off, it's fucking tremendous guys. This was an amazing song to close out the record and just looking at Remade in Misery as a complete package. I can't fucking believe this is a real thing. I can't fucking believe this is a Memphis Mayfire album because it is so antithetical to what they've been doing for three records prior. Um, Memphis Mayfire, holy shit, guys. Like, I, you know, the, the, that song from 10 years ago, Prove Me Right, and how it said, like, four years gone by, now everything is fine, no thanks to you. Now it would be 14 years gone by. And that span of 10 years, like, that is really the amount of time that I spent just slandering this band and fucking dragging them through the mud every chance I got because I thought that's what they deserved. And I'm not saying that I'm going to turn around on that material um, because, no, I, I still think all that shit is fucking trash. But Remade in Misery from top to bottom, perfection. Genuine fucking flawless perfection. Um. Okay, what's next? What's next? Uh... I'm going to go ahead and talk about the brand new Akuma 6 record, Akuma no Sekai. This is pretty cool for me on a personal level because I feel like for as long as this podcast has been around since, or the weekly podcast since the beginning of April 2021, um, I've mentioned Akuma 6 very often in terms of like running down the list of new singles, yet I've never truly given Akuma 6 their own spotlight. I don't think I've ever actually detailed any other singles for Scenic Overlook or anything of that sort. So, for a band that I've mentioned a lot, this is the first time I actually get to talk about them at length, and that's really cool, I think. Um, so, admittedly, though, I do think I am a bit disappointed that my favorite song by Akuma 6, Katana, featuring Tobias Reich from Novelist FR and formerly Alaska, didn't make the cut for the record, and... I only say that because I thought Katana was such a tremendous way for me to be introduced to this band last year. Um, but we do have the singles Amazing, Majin Dance, Club Sugar, and Ido Tensei all present here. And I think all four of those songs give a really good insight into what 
Akuma 6 sounds like at large, which in my mind is like a combination of Imur and Dropout Kings. You get that sort of like really heavy aggression, the almost like gent tones to the guitar at times, and then the hip-hop influence that is like so... um like not really in your face because it's truthfully like kind of muted at times, but that uh, the method in which Akuma 6 fuse uh, hip hop into metalcore, that just reminds me so much of Dropout Kings. And I guess, you know, to stay on the subject of Dropout Kings, they actually are featured on one of the songs here, Badass Shidori, which sounds exactly like I would have expected it to. And maybe the highest point of the record, in my opinion. Um, I, I do think the opening song, God Injection, is quite exceptional and has some slight ghost main vibes in its quiet but also dark style implemented into the non-screaming portions. Um, and you do kind of also do get to hear that on uh, Harakiri Endgame and Ghost of Akatsuki. And I think by that point, you as a first-time listener of Akuma 6 will have the most appropriate grasp of what they sound like and decide from there if this band is for you or not. Because I feel like this style of metalcore and hip-hop, um, it's not going to be for everybody, but if you can get into the material here by Akuma 6, I, I really do think you're going to love it. I think this record is something to be proud of for Akuma 6, and the fact that this is, like at least from what I can see on Spotify, their debut LP, and I think they did a really, really good job on it. Um what was the score I gave it? It was like an eight and a half or a nine, maybe eight and a half. So the reason I went eight and a half and not anything higher is, you know, because I don't really know what the staying power is going to be for Akuma no Sakai. I don't really know how I'm going to feel about it in a month if I'm going to revisit it that often. But for at least, you know, finally having an extended project from Akuma 6 in hand, I can say that, um, the potential that they showed all throughout the singles rollout was definitely fulfilled. I think this is a great outing by Akuma 6. And again, if you can, you know, fuck with that metalcore hip hop amalgamation style, definitely go check out Akuma no Sakai. We have the brand new album by Valley Heart. It is called Heal My Head. This is the follow-up to 2018's Everyone I've Ever Loved, which I actually didn't know about at the time. So Heal My Head is my first opportunity to venture through a brand new Valley Heart release. And before I go into the singles like I normally do for records, I wanted to go ahead and give some love to the opening track Birth, which is incredibly beautiful and is like genuine poetry throughout its runtime in the lyricism of this track. When I returned to my birth, my body spread out in the earth with fingers like roots on a seed, tears of my brothers watering me, and we will float up, up into space, bodies shot up on a vertical interstate, and could we still stop for a snack on cosmic highways, gas station off ramps. So take all the time that you want, a whiskey with John in the fall, so break my false sense of control, because there's nothing we have here to hold. And that pretty much remains constant all throughout the album. Every song here has this genuine beauty to it that also is laced with agony and that emo nature is for me at least what really elevates heal my head 
And I could tell that just from the singles, The Numbers, Your Favorite Jacket, and Miracle. This band has a real gift of being able to craft these like sort of quirky, emo, or indie-inspired songs that take on lives of their own. Um, The songs on this record that pack energy in the instrumentation act as the stars of this entire project. And that's not to say that when Valley Heart scale things back, do I think they lose any charm or I view them in any less of a positive manner. But what I will say is that there were two songs in particular, Vampire Smile and Ceiling, where the slower tempo made it to where I couldn't, in my mind, consider them to be on the same level as a song like Carousel, for example. Uh, that energy, I don't feel it there. The, the beauty and the emotion, sure, but there's just something um, that's missing to like really, really grip me the way that some of the other tracks here do. Um, I really, really fuck with the closing sequence of The Days, which has this almost like... Um, I guess like riding off into the sunset feel to its outro and then that bleeds into 626 which reminds me of the title track to The Greatest Mistake of My Life by Holding Absence in the sense that it serves as this really somber and classical style ending to an emotional journey that the listener does need some space to process. Um, I do like this album. I, I don't know if I'm ready to say that I love it. I enjoyed the time that I spent with it. At the same time, I would probably be lying if I said that I have spent a greater deal of time with this album than I did anything I've already talked about, like Memphis Mayfire and Akuma 6, and then even what's coming up with the other two albums. Um, and maybe I need to be in like a certain headspace to really, really enjoy and appreciate Valley Heart. Maybe there's like some extra layer of vulnerability that I don't necessarily have right now, but once I do have it, maybe revisiting this record is going to kind of breathe life into it in a way that I think, um, I'm not trying to disregard the record. I do like it. Um, but just maybe there's like a certain frame of mind that needs or, or one needs to have in order to really, really take in heal my head the way that Valley Heart intended us to. Um, you know, if that time ever comes soon, I will definitely be checking this album out again and seeing what can happen when, you know, when I feel internally and in my head matches what is going on with Heal My Head. We got two records left. The next one I'm going to go through is Tangerine Tragic by The Oklahoma Kid. So how expanded is my knowledge of the Oklahoma Kid prior to Tangerine Tragic? Um, not very much, honestly. I did hear their other two albums, uh, the first one being Fortune Teller, which to me sounded like uh, something similar to what Architects sounded like at that time in 2014. And then there was a Sol Array in 2019, and I thought that they were doing a great job at crafting their own identity further on that record. It wasn't a perfect release by any means in my mind, but I had no issue with it, and I thought it was actually a cool take on modern metalcore. And 
Going into the singles roll-off for Tangerine Tragic that I got to be exposed to, I can definitely still hear some of those metalcore tones that I just spoke about, uh, especially through a song like Come Undone. But from there, uh, getting a Velvet feel as the following single, uh, to me, showed that there would be some versatility on this album because of the Oklahoma Kids' willingness to dive into melodic stuff and their ability to succeed at that same time. Um, the final single prior to the record's release was Die Black to Pink, and I truly think that this is one of the best songs of 2022 that I didn't put into Scenic Overlook. Uh, Die Black to Pink has such a different flair to its delivery than anything else on the record because of the instrumentation used on it. And it's, it's honestly a little bit difficult to like really find the words to explain what it sounds like. To me, at least, it reminds me of the opening song to Tokyo Ghoul Re. Um, like that sort of a, like that emotional tone that is also really catchy. Um, it, it does a lot to kind of stamp this song into my brain. And kind of just throwing this out there, there is nothing wrong with Tokyo Ghoul Re. It, it was fine. I liked it. Leave Tokyo Ghoul Re alone. Um, I think there was something on this album for everyone who dabbles into the scene, and I don't mean that as like this kind of exaggeration to get you guys to listen to the record. I truly think that if you just listen to Tangerine Tragic, there will likely be something on here that you can latch onto. Um, if you're after something that's like just grounded in metalcore, listen to the opening song to Dance with Fire. Uh, Pale Tongue is metalcore with some electronic implementation, and I think it does that concept incredibly well. Um, Words Like Violence reminds me of a sort of heavier take on the sound from Minutes to Midnight by Linkin Park. Uh, Melt Into You has this really catchy and euphoric chorus that is able to be memorable by not really changing the delivery of Tom Swastik compared to when he screams. Um, the closing song, Lost Purpose, or not the closing song, rather the penultimate song, uh, Lost Purpose has these really cool electronic tones going in the verses that perfectly match the heavier chorus. And then the closing song, Onmacht, is very atmospheric and almost resembles if Starset was a metalcore band. Um, there is so much about Tangerine Tragic that I don't even feel like I've like really, really scratched the surface of. I don't think I have like uh, dived into this album to the extent that is going to result in the greatest level of appreciation that I can have for it. I, I think this is a tremendous record by the Oklahoma Kid. It definitely has the ability to grow on me. I don't think my opinion on this record will diminish in any way. I don't see myself looking at this album and thinking, oh yeah, that wasn't as good as I said it was. If anything, it's probably better than what I'm saying it is, and I just kind of need to spend more time with it to really understand that. Um, the Oklahoma Kid, they, they fucking did it, man. This was an amazing album. I'm going to be listening to it several times for the next few days and weeks and months, maybe. Um just a lot to be happy about with Tangerine Tragic, in my opinion. And now for the final album of this episode, Heroin by Thornhill. So let's talk a bit about the background of Thornhill because I wasn't as knowledgeable about them as plenty of others. 
Um, I did listen to their 2019 album, The Dark Pole. Um, although I do remember having this very weird relationship with that record, uh, because the day that it dropped, October 25th, that was the same day that I went to go see Bring Me the Horizon, Sleeping of Sirens, and Poppy. And something that I guess you guys should know about me is that I have really, really bad social anxiety, and that does impact uh, the amount of content I attend and also how I feel in the days and moments leading up to a show. So that, that entire day, October 25th, I was just like this anxious wreck. I couldn't really do much. Um, and for that reason, I didn't get to hear the dark pool when I should have. The same thing happened with Paris and the Hallucinations EP because I also dropped October 25th. Um, so I, I didn't get to hear the dark pool and take it in when I should have. I eventually did, and I thought it was very, very enjoyable and something that provided a base for Thornhill to build upon in a future release. That future release ending up as heroin, and the singles rollout genuinely could not have done a better job at conveying the style that would be explored on this record. Um, like just look at the lead single, Casanova. Uh, from the opening riff, of that song that embodies the dirty and grimy style of metalcore, there immediately became so much to look forward to, and then factor in the swagger possessed by Jacob Charlton on vocals throughout the track. Um, Archangel showed much of the same promise with a like Deftones-esque tone that truthfully speaks to me more than Deftones themselves actually have. Um, Hollywood is just as ambitious and successful in that avenue as Archangel, and then Raw was the perfect conclusion to the pre-album rollout. Um, I, I, I think once I got into the rest of the album last week, I was spoiled right away by the Hellfire Club, which is one of the best openers I've heard all of this year so far. Um, just like, the, the, the way that the sequence at the beginning of the track kind of prolongs itself to give way to one of the most atmospheric moments on the entire record once the whole band comes in, just, it's even hard to put into words what I really feel about that. It, it's just fucking tremendous, guys. And then there's, um, that song, The Hellfire Club, is somehow followed up by an even better song, in my opinion, through Leather Wings which utilizes more of what I mentioned about Jacob's vocal style and how big of a role that really proves to be in making heroin the success that it is. Um, even when things can be slowed down a bit on songs like Blue Velvet and Something Terrible Came With The Rain, you still get a proper grasp of Thornhill's identity and the sleaziness of heroin that is so addictive. And consider that Something Terrible is meant to be an interlude sort of song, yet it stands out on its own as this incredible moment on the record. Um, Varsity Hearts has this really unsettling intro where Jacob kind of just lets the words out of his mouth with no regard or care for how cohesive he sounds, and that all happens right before the rest of the band comes into the song, and it's just, you know, another highlight of the album, in my opinion, and it really shows the, the union between um, the unison, no, I said union, why did, the unison between all the members of Thornhill and what they were after with heroin and what they achieved. Um, and then you get into the title track, which serves as the closer and every element of heroin that I enjoyed so much comes back into the fold one final time before the album ends. And I am just sitting there in awe at this excellent body of work that Thornhill crafted. Um, I mentioned earlier about the Dark Pole and kind of understanding like that record provided a good base for Thornhill moving forward. 
they shattered the fucking base with heroin. And, you know, I I, I don't know what they follow up with now because I listened to this album from front to back so many times over the last week. And it's just one of those records where it feels like I'm discovering something new every single time I hear it. And just like, you know, a a little um, maybe like uh, tone or like this pitch or just something within the instrumentation that I'm just like, oh, fuck, I didn't know that was there. And it's just like so explorative and um adventurous and ambitious in in those regards um heroin is fucking outstanding guys like i knew i was going to love this record and i still somehow feel like my expectations were surpassed by what thornhill accomplished um this has been an excellent release by the band and if you're not on the thornhill train yet what the fuck are you doing seriously and that's it that was every album and single from last week for me to review. Um, yeah, I, I think I kind of laid out everything that I needed to as it pertained to my life and some stuff happening in the scene and then all the music this week. So I'm good to end it here. And uh, next week's a big one, guys. Motionless and White and Secrets. So yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do some cool stuff moving forward with this platform. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And... As always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.